in three months, I turn 40. Things have been happening to me. The hair that's on the top of my head is relocating without my permission, and it's climbing its way down back here. I don't know what that's about. You are allowed to laugh at that because that was really funny. And the, there's gray that is growing in on the sides of my head and down my beard. And I'm, I'm taking a positive look at this. The Bible says that gray hair is a crown of glory. And so there's a saying that says, with much power comes much responsibility. So gray hair means or equals it's time to change the world. And I've been preparing for 40 for the last three years now. I'm pretty excited about it. And, and here's why. I have saw, I've seen these first 40 years of my life, and I've been attempting something for mostly, I mean, I've wasted some years, but mostly I've tried to be good soil. We saw a, a few parables earlier. Jesus talks in the parable of the sower that we should be good soil. We should tend our heart to prepare this heart of ours to receive the word of truth. And as we do that, we grow. So that's the first 40 years. And, and now these next 40 years, I'm seeing them as now it's time to start taking the fruit of growth that God has given me and drop this fruit to the ground so that the seeds in the fruit will be buried in the earth and sprout up life. And, and I think that's a good way to live by, to spend a certain period being good soil and then remain good soil, but then start bringing life into the world because you've got some gray, because you've got some wisdom. And it doesn't have to be after you're 40 but, I mean, you could just say, I'm starting this now. I've just got this age, this date, for whatever reason. And it's, it's actually putting a lot of pressure on me now. I was excited before, and now I'm, because I've got some things I want to do, and it's starting to scare me a little bit, but here it comes. So, um, and I think the key in understanding this, when, when we think about being good soil, and then depositing seeds once we've experienced growth into the world around us. It's like God has given each and every one of you a specific plot of land to tend. And you'll start running into problems as soon as you start comparing your land to other people's land. You'll see land that's bigger than yours. And it will depress you. Or you'll see land that's smaller than yours and you'll get all puffed up. And uh, that, that's a mistake. Just look at the land that God's given you, the calling, the purpose in your life, and then tend the garden. Grow it. Make it beautiful, whatever that plot of land is. And the way we're going to find that that happens today is through persistent and faithful prayer. We should pray more. The most valuable advice I think I could give you is not to read your Bible and pray more. It's to persistently read your Bible and pray with faith. With faith, persistent, every day, every hour, you're going to God in prayer. And I think what will happen is we spend this, you know, you become a Christian and you've got this 
part in you that's been rebelling against God, and then you've seen his grace. And now that rebellious heart's beginning to change. And then God says, all right, I want you to build heaven on earth. I want you to build a flourishing kingdom. And you're like, I don't really want to do it, but I know that I should, so I'm just going to do what I know that I should do. Even though I don't really want to do it, I'm going to do it. But I think some people... Something happens, and it might be later in life, it might be early, I don't know, but I think something happens to people, some people that get there, where they don't have to say, this is what is right and I'm going to do. They've just been such good soil that now they can just be, and goodness begins to come out of them, and the kingdom of God just begins to flow. And I think we all want to get there, and we're going to learn today that that comes through persistent prayer. We're looking at the parable of this persistent widow, Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? You know, this line at the end, will he find faith on the earth, is connected to prayer. Prayer and faith connected together. First point, plot of land in prayer. Am I going to need another microphone or are we good? We're good? Okay. Justice. Justice means to right wrongs. To sow goodness into the world. To see the wasteland. So your plot of land. It's like a wasteland. And you tend it until life grows up. Unrighteousness is to sow what is wrong. To see the plot of land that God has given you and ignore it. Let it go to waste. And there's a lot of irony in this story because this judge, you know, his job is to do righteousness. His job is to execute justice. And yet the judge is unrighteous. So he has no idea what is good. And the problem it says that he has is that he neither fears God or respects mankind. He neither fears God nor respects mankind. And it's a deadly combination that destroys goodness. And this widow, she's the hope of the world. She's seeking justice and she is persistent in it and she never loses heart. What does it mean for you? God has a purpose for you. He's got a plot of land for you. In your job, like you don't know what to do with your life, it's simple. Find the plot of land. Begin to sow righteousness, justice, and goodness into that plot of land. 
but you, you need something to do it. Come on, look at me. Here we go. You need the fear of God. What does that mean? Why would you fear a good and righteous judge? Here's the answer. Because one, he's loving. And he will absolutely never stop seeking the good of all that he's created. But he's also fierce and mighty in executing justice. He holds the scepter of righteousness in anything that violates the goodness of this king, it's gone. But it's not the kind of fear, because he's also gracious, so it's not the kind of fear that makes you run from him. It's the kind of fear that makes you bow down to your knees in admiration for him and say, how should I live? Tell me. But there is a piece of this that you also understand. He is the God who sees all things. He sees what you do when you think no one is looking. And you've got this plot of land, and he has commanded you to tend it well. What's what's your plot of land? Well, it's wherever God has taken you. Just look what's before you. Look in this room. This is your plot of land. Look in your workplace. That's your plot of land. And then Jesus here, he's speaking to his disciples, and he's talking about this widow. And this widow, she's the most vulnerable in all of society. We see this widow arriving at the courts alone. Women did not go to the courts then. And what that tells us is she has no husband, no sons, no uncles, no nephews. She has no one. She is alone and hopeless. No one cares for her. And Jesus is the good judge who would never turn her away, and he wants us to do the same thing. And uh, he's commissioning you under his authority and rule and power to care for all the widows of the world, meaning all those who are suffering, all those who are in pain, all those who are hurting. And it's a huge responsibility, and I'm going to tell you right now, my guess is that a lot of you are ignoring it. Partly because you don't feel trained and equipped for it, but you've forgotten who you are. 1 Peter 2.9, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Look, look, look. You are chosen royalty of God, a nation of light who has come to expel with the eternal light of God of the ages all darkness in this world. That's your responsibility. That's your calling. Look at your field. Over and over and over again, Jesus is saying, the the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And, and then you ask, well, why aren't, why aren't I doing this work? And the answer is because you aren't praying. And if you are doing the work and you aren't praying, you're doing work without power. Let me tell you something. When you're praying, you are summoning the spiritual things of God. You are summoning an army behind you, a force behind you. There is power in your prayer, but you don't believe it's true, so you're not praying. 
Prayer makes you bold and wise. It makes you fearless of situations, but fear, fearful of God. It makes you bring, well, it's the stuff that brings life to the dead. It opens the eyes of the blind. And prayer makes you hopeful and makes you not lose heart. You can't lose heart because you have people depending on you. You have a spouse, kids, a church, friends, neighbors, coworkers who are depending on you, whether you know it or not, whether they know it or not. You are the hope of the world. You are the church. You are the Christian, the one who has come here, who has the excellencies of God to proclaim them out to those who are dying. You can't lose heart. You know, the place where the grove gets its name, it says that we will become oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, and we will rebuild the ruined cities. Beauty up out of the ashes. That's what you are to do. You're the hope of the world. Dirty hands are proof that you're in the kingdom. Because when you're in the kingdom, you get your hands dirty, tending the garden. And the first step is prayer. Before we started the grove, we prayed and prayed and prayed. And then we formed a team of people that would pray and pray and pray. And I know that prayer feels unproductive to you. But again... It's the most productive thing you can be doing because you are summoning an army to come and fight for the goodness that you are fighting for. And, but you've got to find this prayer and work balance. So the first error, the first error you might be making is you're being a little too monkish. So monks, you know, they were kind of cool, but they did something that I don't think was right. They, they hid from the world in a lot of ways. And they spend a lot of time reading the Bible and a lot of time praying and a lot of time hiding from the world and brewing a lot of beer. They were like hobbits of their day. And they never face the evil that's ruining the world. I think that's one error. The second error is to be a missionary who doesn't pray. Someone who goes, and, and this, this is the tendency that I have, go and do a bunch of the work. And not really think that your prayers are making a difference, but more your actions are what's doing it. And that is an equal and opposite error. We've got to be monkish missionaries. And one more problem that you might have is you think your life's a mess. And you look at the garden that God has called you to and you say, my life is too much a mess to do anything. And I would like to push back and say that maybe your life is a mess because you aren't looking at the calling that God's given you and going out and doing it. You know what happens when you ignore the calling that God's given you? You start feeling like nobody needs you, like nobody wants you, like there's no purpose for you in this world. And so you just do nothing. And then you get depressed. And then you get more depressed and you sit and you can't move. And so the answer is God has given you a calling. You are a royal priesthood. And so you move into the calling that God's given you and you get active and then purpose starts filling up in you and you feel like people do need me. Your spouse needs you. Your kids need you. 
The church needs you. The world needs you, and God wants you. And you'll never live into the calling if you're not praying. You won't have the power that you need. So what your spouse needs from you is for you to pray. What your kids need from you is for you to pray. Step one, pray and gather your spiritual army. Step two, persist in prayer. The seven dwarves whistled while they worked because they knew that they should be doing something joyful while they're working. Yeah, prayer is the new whistling while you work. You're persistently praying while you're working. You're being a monkish missionary. So second point. As you live into your purpose, sometimes you are a widow and sometimes you are a disciple. The widow is experiencing injustice. So, uh, look, you've got this calling, and I'm going to tell you right now, the more obedient to the calling that you are, the likely more pushback you will feel in your life. Not just from the world around you, but the world in and of itself. And I'm telling you right now, you will suffer in this world. You will have pain. You will have longings that you feel like aren't satisfied. You'll have sickness and life will throw these at you. And what do you do? Cry out to God. And then you start feeling something. Why is he taking so long? It seems like he isn't listening to you. Persistent prayer. And if you can't, if you're having trouble praying, if your doubt is too much, I'm going to tell you what to do. Go to the Psalms. And in the Psalms, you are going to find prayers that are being sung like they're meant to be memorized these songs to be sung and as you're reading these you're going to find some that resonate with you and when you find the ones that resonate with you where it's like god where are you i come to you day and night and still there is no answer darkness seems to be my only friend that's psalm 88 when you feel those things memorize those prayers and then pray them to god and those are your words And when you aren't the widow and you're the disciple, Jesus says, look at the widows of the world, do something. And if you don't, it means you are like the unrighteous judge who doesn't understand what is good and right. There's people in your life that need you to know what is good, and you will never know what is good until you're praying. Because if you're not praying, then you're not fearing God. And if you're not fearing God, you don't know how to respect man. And so the world around you will fall into darkness because you aren't praying. I'm not trying to be like overly dramatic here. I'm just telling you there is a lot at stake and darkness is strong. There are hopeless people in your plot of land. And it's time to fight for them. Look around in this room. There are people here who feel hopeless. There are people here who are struggling. There are people here who are in pain, and they need you to pray for them. They need a hand. They need the healing waters of prayer. 
There's more suffering in this room than you realize. There's more suffering in your neighborhood than you realize. There's more suffering in your workplace than you realize. And there's more suffering in your home than you probably realize. You can't call yourself a Christian and ignore the widows of the world. And the widows of the world is anyone who's suffering around you in your plot of land. Because if you ignore them, then you're acting like the unrighteous judge. Are you a widow or are you a disciple? And the answer is you're probably a bit of both because here's how it usually works. The people who are best at spotting someone who's suffering are those who have already suffered. And so what happens is you are suffering, you're in this pit, and you're reaching to God for, in prayer. And he's taking you by the hand, and then with your other hand, you're grabbing all of those around you who are suffering as well, and you're pulling them up with you. Those who are suffering best know how to spot and help others who are suffering. The church looks like a bunch of widows who are holding God's hand and reaching up, holding each other. We need each other because this world is not the way it's supposed to be, but there's this great promise that one day all that is wrong will be made right and the good judge will come with his scepter and make all things good. The question Jesus asks at the end is, what will you be doing the day he arrives? How, how you spend your day. How often are you in prayer? This is our third point. At the end of this parable, Jesus steps out of the story about this persistent widow, and he asks his disciples a question. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Which means, will he find his people praying? Now, look, here's where we're getting to the heart of all of this. It's easy to stop praying. There's a long list of why you're not praying. You don't have time. But the man of faith understands that the less time he has, the more prayer is needed. I think there's a greater reason why we're not praying. Because prayer is hard work. So here's what happens when you pray. You're, in a way, performing spiritual heart surgery on yourself. You're cracking open your chest, and with God, you are going to work. And God is there with you in prayer, and he sees something in your heart that is evil. And so he takes out a sword of justice, and he starts cutting. And it's painful because these are things that you cherish. These are sins that you love but he's too good to let you keep them until he gets to work. This is repentant prayer. This is prayer that makes you say, why do I keep doing the things that I know I shouldn't be doing? And why am I not doing the good that I know I ought to be doing? All of this is painful, and it makes us avoid prayer like the plague. Repentant prayer is exhausting. And I'm going to tell you, if you don't believe that God cares for you, you will not pray that way. Because you're going to think he's cutting you, and you're going to think he doesn't have his best for you, your best for you. So you're going to say, this God is going to cut these things away from me, and he doesn't really love me, and he's not going to walk with me all the way through it, and so I'm going to avoid him. And that's a faith issue. 
there are people in your life that need you, but you've got to do this first. You've got to tend to the soil of your own heart. Because if you don't tend to the soil of your own heart, you're not going to see clearly what the people in your life need. You're going to be making judgments about what's best for them and giving them advice when your heart is all messed up. So you got to spend a whole bunch of time with God first. Tend to your soul, and as you do that, you'll have better eyes to see. The log in your own eye will be removed, so now you can help others remove the log in their eye. Your heart now is righteous, and so you know. And by the way, every single Christian should have a list of people that they're praying for. Like whether it's in your mind or you have a written list. But let's go back. How do we deal with the problem of thinking that God doesn't hear us? Because you know you think that. I mean, you'd pray more. If you really thought God heard you, you'd, you'd pray more. And the return question is, how has that happened? How can you possibly think that about God? Well, I, I think it's because you've forgotten who you are. You're a child of God. You're royalty. You're a prized possession of God. He has fought against sin and death and all injustice for you. He's given up everything for you. The father literally saw his son take his last breath all for you, all for love. So don't mock the cross by thinking he doesn't hear your prayers. He hears them all. The presence of silence does not equal his absence. It equals his wisdom. He loves you and he is wise and he always answers just the way you need it answered. If you knew all that God knows, you would pray exactly the right prayer at all times, and he would always be answering that prayer that you ask, but we ask for things that we don't need or aren't good for us or just is not the right timing. So we have to trust that. We have to trust that we are sons and daughters of the living God, and we have been able to crawl up into the lap of our king. And he hears our prayers because he loves us. And we have to remember that he is the God with a mighty hand. And we're sitting on his lap. He has the power to dry up the ocean. He spins the earth on his finger. The hills dance for him. The moon and the sun shine for him. The stars sing of him. The earth shakes in his presence and all darkness and shadows flee from him. So when you're lacking the faith that's needed to pray, it's simply because you have forgotten who he is and what he thinks of you. Perhaps the real great reason that we don't pray is because we do know that we have a God who hears and who will answer our prayers. And so we can't really go to him with a pure heart and say, God, I'm coming to you. Because as soon as, as, soon as we go to him asking him for something, you know what he does? 
He says, I want to talk about you. And when he says that, he says, let's get to work on you. Let's tend the soil of your heart. Let's work on your soul. And so let's do surgery. And there are sins that you cherish. You say, no, God. This is, I'm hoping in this. I'm getting pleasure from this. It's, it's too much that you're asking from me, God. Meanwhile, you know there's nothing greater than him. But for some reason, this thing has hold of you. So you avoid him. Watch yourself. You'll do it today. You're going you're gonna to think, I should be praying. And there's going to be something deep in your heart that says, no, don't pray. Find out whatever that thing is that's telling you not to pray. Search it out. Figure out what it is and start getting to work on that thing. That could be the thing that ruins your life. That could be the thing that wrecks your marriage. That could be the thing that messes up your family. That could be the thing that ruins your career. Whatever it is that's making you avoid God praying to him, figure out what it is and get to work on that. And that requires real prayer, bold prayer, raw prayer that says, okay, God, I trust you with my life here. Here I am, take me. He's the righteous ruler. And you go to him. And he is the ruler who will come like a swift morning wind on the dawn of eternity. That's the day we look to in the future. But Right now, you look forward to that day, but you have to look back to another day. The day when the righteous ruling judge sent his one and only son to come and be judged in your place. The day when Jesus became the fruit on the cross, the fruit on the tree that was dropped to the ground into death. And then you pick him up and you eat of the fruit of the vine. And then he is deposited into the soil of your heart. And he breathes life in you again. As it's always meant to be. And you take that first breath into eternity. Even right now. And you start seeing the world different. You start seeing people different. And you start to really love them with all of your heart. Because you're loving God with all of your heart. Because of what he's done for you. He really did die for you. And then it's not there. It's not over there. And then he rises up out of the earth. He lives so that he could bring a world that is filled with life and love. And people who look around at other people who are suffering and in pain and they act. But more importantly, before they do anything, they pray. Because as soon as they pray, their heart is changed, and then they know what to do. There is a future where the righteous ruler does come. And he waves his scepter of justice over all the earth, and everything is made right. And until that day, 
we don't lose heart. We trust that God hears our prayers and he comes swiftly, precisely when he means to at the exact moment, at the exact perfect day. And when he arrives in this future day, let's be praying. There's a Bible verse, end with this. That says, if my people would humble themselves and pray, I would come and I would heal their land. Let's pray. And let's pray. Father, Father, hear our prayers. Father, hear the prayers of those in this room that are like the widow who are suffering and in pain. They have loss, brokenness. And then, God, I pray also that you would lift every single one of us up, stand us up tall so we might fight for what is good and right in this world, and we would bring it into the plot of land that you have given us. Make us bold for you and bold for goodness. Help us love well. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider. Follow our social media at Grove Church PSL and check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.